Please no. <laughs> no, no, please no. If we had a no, super, if we had a Super Bowl of brass bands, how mm -hmm. would that go? I think we'd have to have a playoff, and we'd have to have uh, I don't know. Well, we'd have to have a lot larger budget. That's like <laughs> that's like the uh, old it's like the old band of the year thing back like all those YouTube videos of the band of the year back in the eighties. Well, we we do have we do have the the Atlantic Brass Bands team pretty much and Fountain City's team pretty much in the Super Bowl. They do. So, they roll deep. So. It's crazy. <laughs> I remember like the first time Fountain City took took the stage because I took my band for the first time last year, and like I, we didn't warn them. But Fountain City takes the stage, and then that whole that whole posse just blows up. My band's like, where are these humans? Because the children they're also loud. There's their screams project. That's the yeah, one. True. So well, I think first thing we need to do because uh, uh, he Doug likes to uh, hide back there behind his cornet. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself so we know, so our audience knows who you yeah, are sure. and what, I'm, I'm what, what band you're with? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Doug Lindsay, and I'm a cornet player, principal <laughs> cornet of the Georgia Brass Band, and I also play a lot of different things in the Fountain City Brass Band uh, when, I, when I get the opportunity. So I've been playing uh, brass band since I was a kid, probably junior high. I started at the Ozark Mountains British Brass Band uh, in Northwest Arkansas. And it was pretty fun. I played rep, and uh, I, I met some of my, my good friends coming up there, and, and I really learned a lot about how to play in an ensemble and how to you know play in a good team. And then from there, I moved away. I played there for a long time. Then I moved up to um, uh, Madison eventually, Madison, Wisconsin, do my doctorate, and I played in the Madison Brass Band, and that was a, a lot of fun. We um, I think that band, the first time I was in it, we competed in second section of one, and I think that was like the biggest deal. We just had the best time. Uh, so, you know, I've been on Brisbane for a long time. I knew that when I moved back to Georgia to get my, you know, teaching job that I have now at Kennesaw State University, I was like, I'm going to join that brass band. So in 2012, I got to Atlanta to teach at Kennesaw State and um, immediately contacted Georgia Brass Band and hopped in and was on the solo cornet row, like playing solo five. And, uh, you know, now, 10 years later, 11 years later, oh my gosh, I'm president of the band and principal cornet. And we're competing in ABBA and having a great time. That's a little about me. Yeah. <laughs> so are you well, in the Kennesaw Marietta area? Yeah, it is. It's literally Kennesaw. I live in Woodstock, fabulous Woodstock. Um, it's great. Atlanta's really nice. The, the weather's really good. Our brass band is a lot of fun. And um, I can't complain. I like, I like living in Georgia. So are you closer to Atlanta or are you closer to Chattanooga? Oh, much closer to Atlanta. Yeah, okay. Because I know it's like kind of in between, almost. Yeah. So I get to go, uh, I was just in, I'll tell a little bit of a story. I get to go to play at Fountain City a, a lot. I, I've been to England with them a few times, and I, I play most of the shows with them. I just don't really compete with them because my hometown band is Georgia. Uh, I was just at the Missouri Music Educator Conference, and uh, we had some absences. You know, it's brass band. I don't know if you've ever had a brass band without an absence. I, I don't know if that's possible. Uh, so, you know, between being sick and, you know, like somebody's dog, like needing a ventilator or something, I had to fill in. Uh, so I ended up playing like on that that cycle during rehearsals, flugelhorn, like solo cornet, second cornet, principal cornet, uh, you know, for big rehearsals. And it was like, what is this? And we were working on Titan's Progress and a bunch of other stuff for this thing. So it was, a, it was kind of fun. I like it. I like that challenge. Yeah, it's a good group of people. And uh, nice, nice thing about that is like, uh, you know, they have some connections with Arkansas and that's, you know, that's my home state. And um, a lot of folks, you know, are from there. So Jen and Patrick are like some of my great friends, Jen's principal and Patrick's playing tenor horn, which still blows my mind because he was a trumpet player for the longest time, but he's went to the dark side, you know. Uh, players make the best tenor horn players. They really do. He's good. He's good. Yeah, it sounds really nice. Um, and he bought this nice new best one, you know, he's, he's ready to go. Um, so I always love to go up there and visit with them and, you know, I've become fast friends with Lee and, uh, you know, the rest is history. I just enjoyed that opportunity and, you know, brass bands are all the same for me. Uh, everyone I've been in, has been like really fun, you know, and it's the same kind of culture everywhere. So, you know, we, we go, we do the thing, we play the hard music and then we go out and, you know, we drink our beer and we talk about, you know, this director, that director, uh, I don't know, this person in the tenor horn section or the, maybe the big you know, guy in the tube section. I don't know. <laughs> We're always, always, always poking fun at people, uh, but we're doing it out of love and fun. And I really think that that's what draws me to this activity the most. 
you were saying you were talking about uh about do you ever have a rehearsal without anyone missing i think uh my i'm heading out to california to play at the i don't know what it's called california music i don't know i think it's like cast neck or something like that but it's the music educators association you know conference Excellent. And uh, we're playing with uh, San Francisco Brass Band and the, the solo euphonium player uh, is sick and might not be able to play. <laughs> so I might I might go from from soloist to uh, to solo euphonium as well. Just hop hop right into the band. <laughs> it's OK, though. you know how to do it. it it's cool. just it's part of the ambition. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. I don't think my band's had a rehearsal in years with 100% of the players there in the room. We had one Tuesday night. We had everybody there. And we actually, I was like shocked. We had, um, we're having, well, this is interesting. So I know for everybody for NAB, we do different things. Uh, and we, we, our whole schedule gets jostled around. We're trying to almost have like two different bands, Georgia Brass Band, because there's some folks that just don't want to compete. And there's some folks that really want to compete. So I have to cater to everybody. Um, but we had uh, Freddie Martin in, who was really great. If you know who Freddie Martin is, he's, he's like Chris Martin's dad, Michael Martin's dad, sweetest guy ever, and, and brilliant brass pedagogue. Um, so that was that was a real highlight. We're we're um, we, we've been bringing in quite a few people in the band and trying to up our game a little bit in Georgia. It's been really fun seeing the band grow. And for me, it's been the president. It's like okay, I like to take this organization and show them what's possible, and then you know up the game a little bit. And it's been it's been well received, I would say, and I feel like the experiences I've had with Found City have helped to shape some of the stuff we're doing with Georgia Brass Band, and I just want to keep it going. How why well, join the board to help out and and you know keep that mission alive? Yeah, how uh, how is the the organizational structure uh, with the Georgia Brass Band? Like, is the president of the board essentially an artistic director or? Uh, no, we, we have a board and we, uh, I'm the president and uh, Joe Johnson is the artistic director. Uh, Joe's our normal conductor for concerts, uh, for competitions and stuff. He's not so big into it. So we, we've been um, asking others or hiring out for the competitions. And then, uh, you know, the board's about like six or seven people. It, it kind of depends. Uh, we're having elections in April, so I'll let you know what, what changes. Yeah. Is it usually members of the band that serve on the board? Yeah, but we're trying to, you know, this is probably something that's pretty relevant to every um, brass band. Is like we're trying to figure out how that the band board can be more effective. Because I, I know that we got a lot going on as musicians. You know, we're trying to hobble together an existence. You know, all the guys in Atlanta, like, well, I would say half the band are music people. And they're, you know, they've got this adjunct thing here and, and one over here. And they're teaching like 15 students. They're doing five sectionals a week. They're coming in like, like like just under the wire of rehearsal, like like looking like they uh, maybe eat, ate like a piece of toast that day because it's just been so busy. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's how it is, and, and we do it because we love it. Or we keep I don't know telling ourselves we love it. I, I think I do. It's pretty fun, and uh, you know we do it because we share that vision. I would say. I wonder. I'm I'm I was just curious with the with the um, attendance thing because I think so many bands struggle with this attendance. Mm -hmm. policy and, and bands like will set an attendance policy and then no one follows it i've never been in a brass band that had an attendance policy that everyone actually followed or like it's, to, you have, it's so yeah. hard to police it because like these people are volunteering their time in the first place a lot of for a lot of them so it's like you know i can only be so mean about it you know all right that's how right. i feel anyway yeah well i mean the you can only have a policy that that has teeth when there's you know, a solution to the problem. If your principal tenor horn player decides he's just going to not come to rehearsal and you're like, well, we're going to boot him out of here and get a tenor horn player where? Exactly. You know? like, there's four tenor horn players in Raleigh and they're all playing in the band right now. <laughs> you know? yeah, so we, had that, we had that problem, Tony. Like uh, a number of years ago, our tenor horn, I mean, the, the first solo horn, guy was a little flaky you know he's a good friend of mine i don't want to like badmouth him but he was flaky um so he eventually moved away and uh you know that's fine so we had it like we're panicking like who's going to play solo horn and it, it we had auditions of course and we have auditions every year uh, just to try to bring in new subs and whatnot and that, that's a great way to you know combat some of those holes like well i can plug in xyz from this audition and they're, they're going to come in and have a great time and you start to understand that networking but back to the horn thing uh a guy named Michael Mayo came in. He's a trumpet player who had just graduated from UGA a couple of years ago. Um, you know, played the game and played really, really nice. 
you wouldn't expect a trumpet player to come in and play the tenor horn lovely, but they, yeah, apparently they do really well. So from there on, like last year, we had a guy come in and we had too many euphoniums. So I'm like, okay, you know, I, you play euphonium pretty good. You ever, ever played a tenor horn? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, it's your lucky day. So I put him on like the tenor horn and he's kind of learning it. I think he doesn't like that, but he's playing euphonium actually for us for Naba. He's, he's a great player. He was a good sport about it. Yeah, yeah. it seems like what I found is like, you know, the guys who like play a horn and this, that's like what they do, you know, like for me, I probably want to move to tenor horn because I, that these are the things I play on a regular basis. Right. But, and that's like my gig and what I do, but like most community members who are like, just want to be in a band in general are like, yeah, I play trombone, but we're like, we have a tenor horn spot. They tend to be the ones who are more welcome to like, I'll try out E flat tuba. Sure. I'll, whatever I can, I need to do, you know, to at least be with this group of individuals. Um, well, that's, that's the whole, the whole point behind the, you know, how the, the instruments devolved into the B flat and E flat, everyone reading the same music parts, you know, the treble clef so that you can interchange anybody. Somebody, somebody, your euphonium player can't play. All right, we'll take a cornet player, stick them on, stick them on euphonium. You know, and that's how, you know, the, the amateur, you know, pound band type of aspect of that, you know, kept it going. But, you know, you know, it's what, what we struggle with in, in North America is what that true British culture, British brass banding culture is. And that a big part of that is not missing rehearsal. You know, you go to the top champion bands in, in England and, you know, they have people that are driving some bands have people driving a couple hours each way twice a week and never miss if they're sick they're sitting in there with a hoodie on and scarf and you know they're still sitting in their chair and they're still playing you know so it takes you know, years to culture i would say it's a culture thing right yeah it's, it's a culture thing right what i what i perceive it to be here is is the american community band the american culture is what what makes it difficult for us is because for some reason, Americans think that every time they pull their brass instrument out of the case, they need to get paid to play it. That's just an American culture thing. So they don't like playing in in uh, in groups. At least really good players are like, well, I don't I don't like paying dues. I don't think I should have to pay dues and all that. And then the community band aspect of it is, well, I'll play in your brass band on Tuesday night, but if something else comes up, I'll I'll go do that too. You know, so because I'll just. Yeah, so being in the band means that you have the first opportunity. You get the chair, but um, if something else comes up, you, you can turn it down and somebody else, you know, who cares what happens? And that's just yeah. the culture thing is kind of tough to do. Yeah. When I first got to the Georgia Brass Band, I mean, I love all the guys, you know, and I've had a lot of friends in and out. Um, but, you know, the solo cornet row, I remember some nights being, you know, one of five or not, not one, it was usually two of five, you know, on two or three occasions. And it's usually three or four of us there, but he would drop out night of, you know, they're texting me, oh, I don't feel good. Like, yeah, right. You know, they're just like, I want to go drink beer. Like I do too, but I also want to play the cornet. So, like, you know, that's Christ, the, kind the, of amount of the amount of times. The amount of times, I know, like, I know. You know we, re we rehearse at 7.30, the amount of times I get like nine text messages at 4 p.m. Oh yeah, yeah. it's freaking nuts. It's the, uh, I call it the Wednesday, I call it the Wednesday afternoon massacre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make it tonight. When I used to teach uh, music appreciation courses at the uh, community college, I, you would never believe how many grandparents passed away the last week of the semester. That was, that was the, the brutal time. The, it was a very brutal time. And some, some grandparents, some grandparents I heard, I heard from other professors died twice. Two different semesters. At the end of the semester, it must be a traumatic time. So I've had some of the best, this is tangential at this point, I've had some of the best emails from students asking for excused absences for just ridiculous things this semester. Um, and it's all been at the, uh, I won't say which university, but let's just say it's the flagship institution of the state. And um, they, I got my favorite email that I've ever gotten from a student was asking for an excused absence so he could go on his retreat with his fraternity. And keep in mind, in this lecture, you get four excused absences. Like you get four, like you just don't, you just, just don't show up, buddy. Just, it's, it's okay. Just don't be here. Just take one of your four and go drink. Go be, go, go drink your PBR and, you know, do what you need to do, my guy. 
So like, I think now our band has got like a little better like vibe. I mean, part of that for us, for me, it was like, okay, I see this band. I want to make it something good because I think there's a lot of potential in the Georgia Brass band or else I wouldn't be in a position I'm in. Um, so I set up trying to create, you know, a little bit more serious culture. And I think part of that is going out afterward and hanging out and, you know, having people come over and just playing duets. You know, I, I often have a back row guys back uh, to my place and we'll just play and I'll kind of like hear them play and we train them up a little bit. Um, you know, that's always kind of a trick is making sure the back row are horses because that's the pro that's a problem in brass bands all over the place. It's the back row not, not knowing how to bring some sound. So I like to spend some time with them, you know, just to, to make them, um, I don't know, up to speed with what I would like at least. Yeah. Random. Here's my dog. We were talking to someone who suggested taking horn players and not putting horn players on tenor horns but putting the horn players on the back row because they could pump out the sound who was that who said that do we remember i don't know it's on a podcast we should like award someone if someone like comment on this on uh on the the episode if you can remember who it was but it was someone who said you know you would think that you would put the tenor you would you think you, you would think that you would put a horn player on tenor horn but instead put them on the back row and and they'll pump out the sound. I was like, holy cow, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah, but either way, they still have to learn how to play right-handed. Yeah, no, fair enough. And they get a well, little bit more. do that with mellophone anyway. Like, yeah, they do. That that's always been been one of my things. Like, if if you're willing to play mellophone, I don't know why you wouldn't play tenor horn. It's a much better instrument than mellophone. A good argument. I'm gonna start making that too. I, I actually have a new colleague. I work so I work at Kennesaw State, and we were we were having uh, search candidates in for a band director job we're searching for, and we were at dinner last night actually, Tuesday night rather, and one of our candidates like she used to play horn, right? And I was like, well, if you get this job, you know, I got this breast band, and I got this thing called a tenor horn. She's like, oh, it's intriguing, and she's trying to be nice to me because you know she wants this job, but oh yeah, she's like, totally sucking up. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but maybe she doesn't want to play. Uh, so I'm always trying to. Sure, I'm always like my healers out there. What's that? Sure, I'll play the tenor horn. Give me the gig. Let's see. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you because uh, uh, Sorensen's up there now. Sorensen, yeah, she plays, Ryan she plays to play horn. The band yet? I, I have asked her and and Ryan. I just got his email actually. I got Ryan's contact two days ago, so I, I'm just getting to know him. I've got we got he's, a he's stack. Good people. He absolutely needs to play in your band. Okay, great. We have. Tell we him have, I said so. Fine, I'll text him. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. We uh, we we definitely miss him in the state, for sure. I wanted to, so I wanted to circle back to that like that that board conversation because I feel like this is so helpful for anybody who's inside of it because I feel like what happens. I mean, community bands to to an extent, but I feel like one of the really hard things for like. A lot of us brass bands, I feel like most of them are, are 501c3s in some capacity in terms of operation. And it's hard for us to actually become like get that like nonprofit board of people who are like just board members who like pay to be on that board and do the same things that like mo that happens in most like arts nonprofits. And how do you like, I don't know, how do you like jump that line from being an operational board to a board that actually like makes things, that does no those one... sorts of things? No one knows because no one's done it. <laughs> no one's done well. I mean, I I think I would advocate like making having an interview with a a person who's into that, like an arts administrator, someone who has done that, like at a maybe like a youth orchestra program or something. My buddy Michael Oleski, who runs the Arkansas Music Works Express Band, we grew up together, and he's like my best friend. I uh, he just had a meeting with um, like the guy who runs the youth orchestra program for Sona or one of the arc organizations in Arkansas, uh, Northwest Arkansas. And he's having some good productive conversations, and they're they're partnering up with this organization. It sounds like they might be able to get like some spaces, and they might need to. They even like have talks about maybe playing a concerts with the, the students. And his whole vision is to try to like you know do it through the youth brass band and and try to you know get the parents in there. And, and I think that's pretty wise. I mean, Tony, you've got a youth brass band with the triangle, um, and I've seen it be very successful. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it very successful with Mountain Cities as well, working with them pretty intimately. So I think part of it is like you got to create the desire for somebody to want to buy into a program like that, and for you know for good reasons the desire exists when you have children involved because that's the future of our, you know, nation. 
So you might as well give them some brass band. And then your parents are going to see that and be, oh, they're really into that. They're disciplined. They're working hard. Well, we better uh, we better support that organization. And then you get like a really go-getter like accountant as a parent. Maybe they want to be on the board. I think it just happens pretty naturally. It, but this does assume that you have the time to put together a youth brass band, organize it and all that, which to me is is, is wildly amazing. Anyone can do that. I, I watched... You know, I watch Helen Harrelson do that at Fountain City, and I know how much she puts into it. And I'm, I don't know how yours works, Tony, but I'm sure that you're putting a lot into it as well. Well, the, um, I did direct the youth band here from 2001 to 2013, and um, I did put a lot of work into it. Um, you know, it when I took it over, there were 17 kids in it. Look, I mean, luckily, I didn't have to start it from scratch. I took it over in year five, four, three or four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was doing it and work, putting all the work in, it grew from 17 kids to um, like, it kind of reminded me when Amy was talking about her starting her youth band and starting off with like such small numbers. I was like, I had two cornets, um, and a flugelhorn and a full low brass section. That's all I had when I started with it. And, uh, and when I was done with it, we had two bands, um, you know, with over, you know, 60 or 80 kids doing it and then yeah. 2017 we started a third band in the organization and, and it's all under the, the triangle brass band organization so it's you know the youth band doesn't um have a separate youth orchestra type board or anything like that they like our board is very busy trying to manage three bands as volunteers yeah. it's very difficult to do but a lot of, yeah. a lot of work certain parts of the year to, to get that going the the Dublin Dublin community bands I think must be relatively similar. Dublin has I don't I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave some out probably. So any people from Dublin don't be upset with me. Um, I think there's like a Dublin like big band. There's Dublin concert band. There's Dublin metro brass band. There's Dublin silver brass band. There's Dublin youth brass band. And I think there's I I'm I'm leaving so leaving many brass bands in Columbus. It is insane. Out. yeah. And so you guys have a show all, choir. You got a show choir. Um, but I there might be an orchestra. I'm not sure. But they but they're all under the Dublin umbrella. And so I think every all the directors of the ensembles are on the board. And then there's some community members on the board. Um. And it is, it is like a huge, it was, it's a ton different coming from Atlantic where it was one brass band connected to a university and there was, you know, one account and, and stuff. This is That's Atlantic connected to Rowan. Is that, am I right about that? Yeah. They're the ensemble and residence at Rowan. So, um, that helps a lot with, with, um, rehearsal locations and they can host the mid Atlantic brass band festival just at Rowan. I think they pay um i think they pay some fees to be able to use the rowan percussion just to cover them if anything happens uh but but rowan handles a whole lot and i think they have to do they might have to do like two free concerts at rowan for the for the students so that they can see what's going on something i'm trying to get set up at my university i so you know i'm at Kansas state and a lot of our faculty well, I'm the only full-time person there. So the, the school's big. It's 45,000 kids. The music school's about 300, 280. Um, you know, I have 20 kids in my trumpet studio. We have a big brass area. So most of the brass players play in the Georgia Brass Band. So I was able to com- convince my boss this year to say, hey, let's put some concerts on. We're doing a special year of New Zealand concert. Um, I should explain that. Every year we do like a, a featured year uh, featuring a different country. So like last year was Greece, maybe two years was Greece. Uh, there was Morocco next year, I think. And this year is is New Zealand. So I saw that. I'm like, I think they do some brass band stuff in New Zealand. And and I actually, they do. I got in contact with a few of the brass players over there. And uh, in April, we're going to do this. Actually, it's, it's bad timing, but it's we're doing it. April 14, we're doing a concert of all different music, uh, all featuring, you know, New Zealand and New Zealand composers and some Australian stuff too. And then we're also going to like, we have a big screen. We're going to bring in some of these brass players. And then we're going to have the Maori uh, dancers do their ceremonial thing. Yeah. The, what is this called? The the dance? Is it the haka? Am I? Am I, I think so. Something is like that. that. that rugby, is that the thing that rugby players do? In the, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
that thing. But then we're going to have them in that too. So that's going to be pretty cool. And this year, I, I've convinced my boss again to like, let's put a concert on the fall. And so that's been really good. Uh, oftentimes, the brass band comes in and we do a collaboration called Brass Blast. And they'll like, the kids will all play with the band and they'll spend the whole day practicing and, and, and uh, performing with the faculty. So we have like kind of like a loose connection. It's not a formal thing, but I, I think that, man, for any kind of brass band, having some affiliation with the school, having affiliation with the university, uh, local church, I think it's a must. So I don't know if there's any brass bands making brass bands or, or like wanting to start something or grow it, you know, get to know your community really well. Yeah, because I mean, we in in the UK, these the bands usually have a band room that was built ages ago and they have that and it's theirs and they're done paying off the mortgage because it was it's 100 years old or something like that. And it's, you know, those band rooms are tiny. Uh, but they they have their space and they have their storage space and usually a bar downstairs. <laughs> oh, and I have a story. We were in England, uh, it, it, both in 2017 and in 18, and we were competing at Brass and Concert with Fountain City, uh, and we got to stop in Dobcross and, and we we played played for and with the Dobcross Silver Band, mm-hmm. and they have one of these like you speak of. Like you walk into this facility and it's it's pretty small, but like you know, first thing you see is like the bar area. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. You walk past that and it's got a little like a mini concert hall where we were performing. And that place was packed out and they had a little American flag, you know, hanging from the ceiling. And we were like, we were like, we were rocking them. So I have like two or three friends that I speak to on Facebook sometimes, just uh, just randomly like, how's it going? Well, it's good. Uh, how's, how's the Top Cross Silver Band? So I, I really dig and I wish we had something like that. And I, I, not without like making an extra lot of money is that probably going to happen. But, you know, fingers crossed. Maybe we can find someone on the board that's got some discretionary income that they want to throw at a facility. Yeah, somebody's going to need to win the lottery for that one. Right. I don't know. I have, I have hope here, that it, at least in my state, that it can happen. Because there's recently, like within the past two years, two community or per service and community. What? Well, excuse me. Started community <laughs> and then became it, per service. Um, made, um, they've gotten grants to have facilities. And so it's like, you know, if you're if you're doing it the right way, I feel like it can happen. Um, that might be a really interesting clinic to have uh, at at NABA sometimes. I mean, just because I think a lot of people are interested in something like this and in creating an organization, and maybe there's some people out there that, that know how to do it. <laughs> I bet they'd be happy to volunteer their time because they're brass band people. Yeah, I think Dublin Dublin is is proceeding with creating that. Um, there was just a, a city council meeting. Um, they did like a they did a whole um, study where they interviewed a bunch of people. They figured out where people lived who were going to the Columbus Arts events, and there are a significant number of people around in the Dublin area, which is like northwest uh, Columbus. Uh, a significant number of people in that area who are traveling to Columbus to go see theater events. And um, they did all of this analysis and came up with the idea of having like a, a space with like a 800-ish uh, uh, seat theater, having a rehearsal space, some practice rooms that, that like local teachers could rent out, which I would totally, depending on the finances, you know, how much it costs, I would totally rent it out because right now it's my foyer <laughs> that I'm teaching out of. So, you know, um, but they're moving forward with it and uh, it it is probably going to be a thing. And I'm sure Dublin would have to, the Dublin bands would have to rent the space, but we have to rent the space at the church where we rehearse anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how, you know, how when, when governments, especially local town governments get into the arts business like this, they end up, because it's, public funding and everything they try they they have the model of we have to help everybody and by helping everybody they really don't help anybody because mm-hmm. you know you know it doesn't do us any good to have you know a, a concert hall that we can play in once every two or three years because there's no space available because everybody's in there booking it you know and it doesn't help to have a rehearsal a building that doesn't have a rehearsal room that can get everybody you know so you know, they they did that here in the carry the carry arts center that they built um, and turned it turned it, take, took an old school turned it into an art center and 
um, you know, they, they help a couple of groups a little bit because it's so big and so busy. Uh, they really don't help anybody what, for what they actually really need. So it's a tricky thing. It is. You want to be helpful to everybody. I, we have it, it. We used to use Last Sitter's Concert Hall. They have this fabulous concert hall. Uh, but I don't know about you guys, but this year in particular, the, I just a lot of little little like fees have been added on. Like people are like, well, we got to protect. You know, it's the CYA. You know, cover your ass. You got to protect their facility. So we get these like eight hundred dollar bills. Plus you got to buy a liability insurance. Plus you got to like you know pay for the percussion. You know. It gets long, you know. Suddenly, like I want to put on a concert. Well, it's fifteen hundred dollars to to put on the concert. Well, I hope I get hope I get enough ticket sales to cover even that, and that that's tricky sometimes with the brass band. And I wonder how you guys. This um, this is me being curious. Like, how do you guys go about advertising for concerts? Like, do you have like a, a built in base audience? Because that's something I we're we're discussing right now, trying to to build that. We have some diehard Georgia brass band fans, but. I'm always like willing to, or, well, wanting to to build that base up, and it's hard in a market like Atlanta because there's so much going on. So that, to capture people's attention is tricky. Yeah, that's the problem here. Is there's so much, you know, community or amateur type of music going on here, which gets a totally different audience base than the professional groups around here. Um, you know, the professional groups get the people who are willing to pay 60, 80 bucks a ticket, and um, so and a lot. It's a lot of you know, people who are just interested in community groups, but it's also people who have gotten a following over these groups over the years and friends and family. You know, so, you know, um, it's a it's a real tricky thing because I think most brass bands struggle with this. We have we have the number one marketing problem that we have is it's a band. And then it's a band that nobody's ever kind of heard of because it's not a concert. You know, so you have to be really creative about that. Um, we we have we do terrible with getting audiences at our concerts. It's not a it's not something that we're proud of, but we've done we've had a really good year so far this year because one of our our people have been just uh, just attacking the social media stuff for our band, Instagram and I guess Facebook and Twitter. I don't know, but mostly Instagram and just really pushing constant constant information out and it, and the two concerts that, that the youth the concert the youth band did and the concert that the triangle brass band did you know had a decent audience because of these things you know mm -hmm. that may that may be the only thing you can do is just get if you can get a hundred or two hundred or a couple hundred you're, you're doing really good unless you have a major special event and another thing that we've we've tried over the years is collaborations with other groups and oh, yeah. you do a you do a concert with a um you know with a choir or with you know something like that and then that usually doesn't that'll usually will get you a decent audience for that one concert but the audiences aren't going to transfer over you're not going to play with a, a community choir and then now those community choir audiences are going to be brass band fans and come to all your concerts it just doesn't work like that but it's a one-off thing where you can have a great experience with that it's just not an audience builder one of my favorite collaborations we did a few years ago was a holiday show. Uh, we did it at a big church, so we, we utilized a real large organ, um, Johns Creek United Methodist Church. And we also uh, collaborated with the Atlanta Trombone Ensemble. And, and you know, it's like 25 guys playing from guys and gals playing trombone. So I, I took uh, Russian Christian music and I and I added a whole new trombone part to it. And we like ended the whole concert on like this this epic Russian Christmas music. It still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. So I think absolutely making collaboration is the thing. And that's, you know, for me, the first thing I did when I moved to town was join the band because I knew that I needed to meet people and I needed to, you know, start networking. You know, the collaborations that uh, for me is a great way to extend that net a little bit more. So I think that's awesome. And something we're always trying to do in our band as well. I think uh, when I can't, I can't really say for doubling it because I haven't been here for long enough. Um, but in Atlantic, uh, Atlantic did a ton of shows, and and some of the things that that Atlantic does that are successful, um, one is is I mean not everyone has this, but we would travel to the Jersey Shore because there are so many like Victorian towns, uh, Victorian era towns on the Jersey Shore, and so we would sell it kind of as like you know, nostalgia, <laughs> you know, you're in this Victorian coast town, you know, go see the brass band and the, you know, the cute gazebo in the park. Uh, Atlantic had some, some 
some crazy gigs. I remember we we were hired once for an insane amount of money. Well, we were hired every year, but but I remember when we were first hired, and they told us we were like, so they want us to march through the mall to bring in Santa, and we were like, awesome. Okay. So and then they're like, <clears throat> they want uh, they want here comes Santa Claus and Santa Claus is coming to town just on a loop. And we're like, yeah, we can memorize that, sure. And they're like, and they're gonna pay us three thousand dollars for like a half hour of work. And we're like, okay, we can do that. <laughs> Where do I sign up? Get the Salvation um, Army book out. <laughs> right, exactly. So we we did we did some stuff like that. Um, one of the best gigs ever was a collaboration with a winery. Um, we did a summer show and we did a winter show. This was fantastic. And it was sold out every year. I, I don't know why. We, like It was because brass, of the wine. Yeah, brass bands. Like, oh, you need to do this. Because it was an easy brass show. Brass bands, you got wine? All right, we're there. Right. Okay, here's an important question. I have yeah. an important question. What yeah. wine pairs best with cornet playing? I don't know because I play euphonium. But we did put well, wine, free wine, free wine. Um, I think you're asking the wrong question. I think it's more like what wine pairs well with Philip Spark. I think that's really the Oh, question. fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, we, we, put, we put free wine into the contract, so we all got free wine after that gig. Awesome. But, but we, would, we sold out every year, and for the winter, for the Christmas gig, it was a really easy one to put together because we did like the sleigh ride type stuff for the first half. And the entire second half was a sing-along because they had all had like two or three glasses of wine by then. And all they want to do is, is, you know, sing along with, and they're, they're, you know, like moving the, you know, waving the glasses in the air and they're singing and it's a great time. And they paid 25 bucks a ticket. <laughs> well, it's like Oktoberfest, except in December. <laughs> it's great. And then the Thank summer you. stuff was just kind of like, you know, Beatles transcriptions and stuff. And they're just having a great time sitting amongst the, you know the the like outdoor like plaza thing thing at the winery and and drinking their wine, having their their you know appetizers and listening to the brass oh, yeah. band. So if you have a winery near you, like get in touch yeah. because it, it was a fantastic show and it was sold out every year. There's a lot of breweries. I wonder if that would we work. Have a lot of breweries here in town. We've um we've had we started to have a lot of success with our uh, newsletter. We do a we do a monthly newsletter and that's been getting people and sometimes the newsletter is just like what are the musicians up to and sometimes it's upcoming event stuff. But where we really started to draw and like where our crowd is 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 the band kids. Um, yep. we do a lot of educational outreach and bring them and but we've also started to I I, I got tired of playing one concert on really hard music books. Because we, we work on these like really, really, really rough tunes and then we play one concert. A lot of the time and so i was like we're gonna play two concerts per book and one of the concerts is going to be an outreach concert and we will go to one of the area high schools and play and just built in you know we'll play for the kids and then we always build in some sort of like you know we i have a lot of doctors in music i'm i'm, I'm in my bands we have a lot of professors we have a lot of whatever so it's easy to just like hey you know we would do this and we'll help you get ready for mpa or solo and ensemble or whatever and then at the when we get done with that, we'll play a concert for you that night. And we have this built-in group of kids. And, you know, obviously not all 200 members from the band are coming to every single one of our concerts. But we're getting 10, you know, after a few years. And I feel like that's also, like, our mission of, like, being an educational performing ensemble. That's where we're helping out a lot. But it's just, like, I see so many kids get stoked and excited about marching band and, and all that sort of a thing. And it's like, how about if it was sounded good and was, you know... And then uh, they come and sit down you, and watch it. How do you get your band to play a, a, mor a morning gig for a school? We don't. It's after school stuff. Oh, okay. I can get like quint. I can get like a handful of people to do like quintet stuff. We've done that before, but uh, that's much more rare. Or you know, and also like, like I feel like a lot of everybody's bands are like half my band is what well, was at one point band directors. We have less now. Yeah, we not very many band directors actually we, we have one or two but i've been in bands where it's mostly band directors before it, it's tough in ours now we have a lot of just gigging musicians so the, that's been trying to get the buy-in on tuesday night to, to work 
you know, it's, it's tough, but you know, I think it's better now having a band order is, is great because they have access to those band rooms, which we've definitely taken advantage of. Uh, but you know, they're the busiest people on the planet. I mean, I'm yeah. a music ed mate. I almost became a band director. I thought better of it. I was like, I'm going to go teach the trumpet instead. I need to. Yeah. yeah. But those band directors are getting less and less access to their own spaces these days. They are. Yeah. We, we, we used to be able to just like walk in it used to be a thing and now it's like a whole process it, it's it's been so bad we're getting nickel and dimed left and right uh and same thing salvation army here in town too we got we got uh billed out of the salvation army we used to play at every single time and how much did they want to charge you for my that, band what's that how much they want to charge you, how much they want to charge you for that we they also wanted 500 did. per use yeah, the, ours is like the same. Five or eight hundred dollars is very expensive, and we were because we were playing at the Salvation Army Temple in Atlanta for years, uh, and then we had to scramble and find a place. And luckily, we knew a couple people that were kind enough to allow us to use the fellowship hall. If only we came and did a couple services for them, which and, is fine. But keep in mind, like my bass trombone player was their music director. Like it's like, and they were charging us for like having somebody locked down the Salvation Army. I'm like, he's literally gonna be here. What are you talking about? <laughs> they don't want you there, but it is. That was their bingo, and that, you know, which is fine. It, it is what it. If, I wish they would just say that. They wanted five hundred per rehearsal for weekly rehearsals. Or mm -hmm. Yeah, it didn't matter if it was a concert or rehearsal. They didn't care what That's it was. Insane. That's insanity. What they were saying is, we don't want you here. They did the apparently. The, I talked to Jim a little bit about it too. Apparently, they did the exact same thing to the Sunshine Brass Band before they, they it was the same salvation army that the sunshine brass band used to play at and they got they got the same treatment yeah that, that, that fee is just like we don't want you here so we're going to charge you such an outrageous price you can't possibly do it i think we have i i'm not entirely sure of our of the numbers but i think we have to pay i think we have to pay 500 to have a, a concert at the church where we rehearse um and i do think the concerts are different you're having a whole lot of people come in and you know uh and i think the band is paying uh, to rehearse in the space, but I heard that the fee—I don't know what the number is—but they said that it was it was very small and very reasonable. So I don't know what that is. And they the the youth band is supposed to be charged. If anyone knows anyone at the Northwestern Church in in Columbus, don't tell them this because I was told that the youth band was going to be charged, and they never charge us. So I think they're kind of just looking the other way because I'm like the you know the the bank account for a for a first year youth brass band is not, not, not very not rich <laughs> yeah exactly uh, so. just, amy just remember okay people will pay a lot of money for activities for their kids that are valuable the pe people will pay thousands of thousands two thousand dollars for soccer for volleyball for golf like all this stuff you know like, what are you what are you charging the kids to play in the band? I'm charging them. I if I'm charging them 150 unless they unless they can't pay and then then they yeah. So I've I have I'm, one kid who's who's free this year. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you're you're always going to want to make it possible for some people who can't pay to be there, but there's also a lot of them that will pay 250 300 easy for a whole year of that stuff. So okay, so and we also fees. name we uh we have some people who pay for certain students who can't pay for their for their youth band fees, and we just and we don't tell the student who's getting paid. We just have them on financial assistance, um, and we name those people as uh uh performer sponsors in the program. Oh, a performer nice. sponsor. That's a that's we, a nice idea. We have uh so in Cobb County is is kind of where I am here in Georgia. The the kids so I teach all sorts of trumpet players from different high schools. Like in twenty mile radius, there's probably twenty five high schools, right? Uh, and these kids are paying like two or three thousand dollars for band fees, which I'm a kid from Arkansas. You know, I graduated in two thousand and three. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, and we didn't have band fees. And to come to like Cobb County and just to see like the spectacle that is what they're putting on, which is there's pretty cool. A lot of it. Some of it's, I think kind of dumb but whatever i'm not a band director but three i can't imagine paying two thousand dollars to no. you know put a giant tarp out on the field and then you know proceed to dance and play microphone baritone solos onto it they wouldn't they, but, they wouldn't have to if the school systems would pony up any money for the arts 
the, they do pony up a lot of money for their arts. You should see the facilities in some yeah, really beautiful. But yeah, it's better there than here. Here they give zero. So like yeah. you're, you're, these kids are funding their own experience, and it's it's sad. It is for sure. I mean, they're, they're, it's probably not the way it is with football, but that's kind of the age old story, isn't it? Right. Well, I mean, so so how I have it set up is I have, um, it's one hundred and fifty bucks. Um, for for this because the youth brass band is set up to go from January to like April or through NABA when we're when we're ready to do that. So it's 150 bucks for that. Um, and then we do a summer two week workshop. They pay 50 bucks for that. And the mm -hmm. summer two week workshop has virtually like no no expenses. Um, you choose like three pieces, meet for like four rehearsals, and do a performance at the Ohio Brass Arts Festival. So the, that 50 bucks, you know, we have no expenses. So that just goes, that is planned to go right into the account um, to help with, with when we do have expenses for this longer term. I'm, yeah. I'm trying my best to keep it, to keep the, the expense of doing it low. We also have Dublin, the city of Dublin um, supports the arts like a ton, like, so um, we have, we had enough money, the, the youth band, the youth band, let me say this again before I finish the sentence, the youth band had enough money to bring Tom Hutchinson over. Nice. So, <laughs> so we're, we're covering it for, we run out of space. Oh, I misclicked. I'm sorry. <laughs> That'll be a fun you edit. Just fall asleep? <laughs> so, I was trying to close the window and those buttons were really close to each other. I think, I'm trying to come up with a question. He'll splice it. He'll splice I'm it. Doing research. I think he's so, trying to tell us that we need to shut. Oh, I kind of want to appreciate it. But the, I kind of want to talk about the solo ensemble and like the the contest coming up and everything. It might be kind of cool if someone's listening to it because that all that just closed today. Yeah, it's going to close tonight in about four three hours four hours from when we're recording. Yeah, which is. I get an email every time someone signs up. So I've been getting a lot of emails. Me too. It's great. I'm really excited about yeah. it. This is looking like it's going to be one of the largest solo ensemble contests we've ever had at NABA. Great. I made a poster. <laughs> That's what did I can't wait. Over the edge. I think probably not. I'm bringing my I'm bringing my students. So every year for my students, the last five years or four years or so, I arrange a brass band piece for trumpet ensemble, and I hand all my guys like cornets and flugelhorns. I've seen your year of the dragon. I've seen your year of the dragon. Yeah, year of the dragon last year, and then year before that was Harrison's Dream. We did a recording for COVID, and then year before that was Metropolis, which I thought was really fun. And this year we're doing Tristan Encounters. And, nice. And That's one of my favorites. I just, me too. I entered them into, into the, the contest, and I think we got a good shot. We're going to be we're going to be pulling pulling for that KSU uh, brass ensemble. But that's something that I really I think that's been I've seen my students' eyes open up like real big just by showing them, hey, here's some here's some great music. You don't get to hear this super often, and now let's let's learn this stuff. And you know, it takes six months really to to, to get it up to, to like a high quality level. But at the end, it's it's you know they they kick butt. They get to bring that music to the national stage, which no one's heard that stuff. You know, everyone's always doing orchestral transcriptions. Uh, you know, that's great. I did them too. But to have like a, a brass band voice in there, it's just so different and new. Everyone's always like, oh, that's really cool that you did that. I'm like, well, you know, you, you, you too could play in a brass band and play all this repertoire. That sounds yeah. like, a, like some like Uncle Sam style like poster. You that's too right, but play like, in a brass band. But like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> So well, that seems like a good a, a good spot to, to do our question of the of the episode, Aaron. Well, that's good because oh, yeah. it actually it, it is it is topical to what we were talking about because I was going to oh. talk. So, um, I've been having a lot of conversations about transcriptions. What's your favorite brass band transcription from something that's not bra original brass band? Oh, I, I really like the Forza del Destino. I played that a number of times, and I think it's well done. I really love that tune. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a lot of good stuff. Oh, I mean, I've I've played yeah. of them, but it, the one that I think is probably the most ridiculous is the the movement two from the Shostakovich Symphony Number no. Ten. Dun dun da da dun da da da. Brass band about Greek did it, I think, and it's just like what the 
you know, what is this? Yeah. It's funny. It's funny that Triangle Brass Band played at the NCMEA conference in 2018. And we did, we opened with the Shostakovich 10 that you were just talking about. And we also, yeah, yeah. we also played the, the Force of Destiny on that concert. You know, which one I, maybe this is because uh, I was in Atlantic and, and we had, we had Sal, you know, Italian conducting us, but I, but I really like the Nabucco uh, transcription, um, and and he was he was he's so great at conducting and bringing stuff out of of uh, opera transcriptions that 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 really came to life with him. But so I just I like Nabucco. I do like Force of Destiny. That was the first brass band piece that I ever played because I was late. I was late to the to the party. Um, but but Nabucco is my vote. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll probably put mine down since I all of those are great ones that I like, but I I might probably just say Elsa's Procession in a Cathedral. I've done that That's so nice. many times, and it's it's always a good one. Oh, I have another one. Dang it, Pines of the Appian Way. We've done that a number of times, and that's really freaking cool for brass band, man. Yeah. You know, it's loud. I've done the the, the Bear finale from Firebird, which is really good. Um. Oh, there's so much, so much. You know, you know what? Roman I, Carnival. I did Roman Carnival one time, and that was good. And there's a Shostakovich five that's really good too. A finale for Shostakovich. Really? Yeah. A lot okay, of notes. Kind of hurts on the trumpet. A lot of notes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the trumpet. And then, and then of course, Festive Overture is another one that a lot of people have done. That's a pretty good one. So, what that's about good. you, Aaron? Did you oh, yeah. chimed in? Did you? Mahler two yeah. Harpers. Oh yeah, I've done that one. That I one's haven't done that one. Oh, especially when, you, especially when you convince everybody to use practice mutes for the beginning, as opposed to straight mutes. Yeah, it's really soft. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a spectacular one. That's probably one of the better orchestral concert finales you can do. It's it's awesome. It hurts though. I, I we feel made mistake, for... We made the mistake of programming it on Christmas. We did oh. the Resurrection Symphony for Christmas. <laughs> Oops, wrong, wrong holiday. But I, that one hurts the players. I, I feel bad every time I program that because I know the players are going to be like on their face. I, I have a question for y'all. I I just kind of it's, it's slightly tangential, but sort of related to conducting and conductors. Like, what do you think is holding back some bands from like having a great conductor? And and what does it mean to be a great brass band conductor? Because because I, I I know what I would say, but I'm curious. I know what I know do you, the answer. You... I know the answer. Well, then you get to speak. All right, the, the, this is the, the core problem, and I'm, I'm not saying this to offend anybody, but when bands have an opening in the, on their podium, they run to the closest university to find the, the, the best DMA conductor that they could possibly find. And, mm. and sometimes means they're getting somebody who has a background in clarinet or a background in you know anything else, saxophone, whatever. And they're great musicians, and they're great conductors and they don't know how to, they don't need or have the brass pedagogy that they need to work a brass band. What brass bands need is a brass trainer. Yep. Okay. They don't have to know how to conduct. This flies in all the, the, the DMA's face on this. It helps. don't need great, great um, conductors in front of them. They need people to train them. Okay. And if they can conduct and stay enough out of the way, then the band's going to be just fine. And you can look at a lot of the, the, the videos on across the, the, the YouTube sphere and all the conductors in front of these brass bands. Um, and, you know, they don't look like they've been trained at an American university. You know, they don't look like Michael Haycock or Eugene Corporan or anything. They're not Gary Junkman or something. Yeah. yeah, no, they don't look like that. But their bands are spectacular because of what they do in the rehearsals to train them to get them there. That doesn't mean they're not fine conductors. They are. But it, we've it's, had a lot of it's the ear. Yeah, conductors in. No, we had a lot of different conductors in, right? And, and I, I love Joe. He's a good, good friend of mine. Uh, you know, he's got a style of conducting. We have had like Joe Parisian. We've had David King in, of all people. Um, 
we're having Colin Holman in. So kind of seeing different takes on that has been like super, super astounding. And, and just to see like the, the way the band responds to a different type of musicianship or a different type of like stick technique. You know, I think you're totally right, Tony. You have to have a, a person who's going to train, but having someone who's also super proficient and clear and has a musical mind for it is, is amazing. And we don't necessarily have people that are being trained over here for that. And that's that's too bad. And I, I want to get the brass bands involved more in a university setting. And I like what is happening in our movement with like North Texas, with Oakland, uh, various of the brass bands. And I think that's going to be kind of the genesis for creating the next generation of great brass band conductors here in America. Because we're just importing right now, you know, we're net importers. And I would love to us to be, uh, you know, a little bit more serious on the stage. And I think it might start with some of those great conductors. Yeah, well, I, I think it's also, you know, a matter of, um, of people who are leading bands in, in North America now, of going into brass band school, brass band leading school, and getting in touch with Nick Childs or Bob Childs or Philip Harper or, you know, any of these conduct Alan Withington or these conductors over there, and working with them and talking to them and learning what they do and watch them rehearse. You know, I mean, I've I've been working with Philip Harper a lot over the last five or six years. Uh, he's come in and clinic the band and you know i've seen dozens of rehearsals that he's run and i'm taking notes in every single one you know to make sure that i'm learning what he does and how he does things with brass bands because they because these guys do things specific things with brass bands that we don't do over here most american brass bands sound like american community bands with really really good players on my brass but they don't have i started thinking I started taking some lessons with David King. I've taken like 10 lessons with this guy. And, uh, you know, I, I knew it was very good. But, man, the dude knows what the hell he's talking about. And his perspectives on brass playing changed my life, I would say. And, and I think that anybody would take from him knows that. So I know what you mean about Philip Harper. He's an extraordinary musician. There's no way that band is playing as well, the chord band's playing that well, if Philip Harper was not on the podium. No. And, and it was the same, way with Bob Ch the same way with Bob Childs before that or Nick Childs or – you know, or one of one of my favorites is is the Tradeger band, you know, with their conductor at um, Ian Porthouse, like an excellent musician, but the band is just spectacular because they have that kind of training, and that and that's what you can do when you have great players who are willing to be trained, even though they're beyond the training level. They're tr they're not in university anymore. They're not students. They're, anymore. they're never beyond the training level, though. That's that's exactly it. And that's but that's something that we have that's unique to America, is that and that's what str we're struggling with is the the bands that can get into the training mode all the time are the ones that are really going to be getting the most authentic brass experience. Brass band so, experience. so Atlantic has has Sal on the podium for for the stuff that you see. The stuff that you don't see, Brian Appleby Weinberg is on the podium. He's the band, he's the band builder. And and in their in their rehearsals, they have a book of of rhythms that everyone plays, unison rhythms, unison notes. Every every rehearsal, it's another, it's another challenge of rhythms, it's another challenge of multiple tonguing, it's another rhythmic challenge, it's another it's another warm up challenge. Different people playing the warm up didn't, stuff didn't like that. Brian go do a sabbatical or something over with one of the British brands a number of years ago. So he kind of picked up some of this from you know the source, which right. is awesome. So he did. He did. Um, he was over with was it Brighouse for a bit, and uh, and so it was. Uh, so he he worked with the band, and that was when Atlantic went from last place in championship to to near the top consistently you know and that was but that was what happened instead of just telling the band you can't tell the band to play to you know to to play quieter you have to keep working on consistently working yeah. pulling that down you can't just tell them to play louder because they are what they repeatedly do so you have to have the band builder and you have to have the conductor and in some cases i think that's the same the same yeah. thing and in some cases it's not but you have to have those two you know those two overall personalities or like ways of knowing or thinking right yeah, yeah. there's a, a builder and a polisher yeah yes, exactly the, the train the training is the key and i think you know a lot of a lot of american brass fans they like to 
to go to the go to the next university, get a DMA wind ensemble guy. We got a great conductor. Here we are, because it's that community that community band mindset, you know, that that we're kind of stuck in. You know, maybe maybe this conversation will start to change that. Who knows? Maybe. Ooh. We bring- and recording, I gave you the out. 